0: Matt hit on something that I want to kind of carry over into the message this morning as you turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. Mark, chapter 1, as we continue looking at the series, The Servant of God. It's uh, Mark and the other Gospels are just like Revelation. Many people, and I, almost 25, October, I'll Celebrate celebrate twenty five years as a senior pastor, and uh, in every church, people said, "Let's study the book of Revelation. Let's study the book of Revelation." And it's uh, if I can uh, kind of put it in perspective. People want to uh, study the book of transformers and superheroes and all of the stuff of the old the old timers. our forefathers called it the book of the apocalypse. Uh, But in studying the book of Revelation so many people want to study it because of looking into all this uh, unbelievable almost unbelievable stuff that's going to happen and they miss the very first verse. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The book's about Jesus. The gospel of Mark is about Jesus. Worship is about Jesus. D now... And children's ministries and choirs and Christmas and Easter and every day and every breath of our life should be about Jesus. And we need to pause. This morning as we continue looking at the servant of God, Jesus Christ, uh, Mark writing uh, specifically, if we look in the... uh, historical times of the day, where he was at, and who his audience... He did not sit down and write this with the idea that it was being written to the New Testament church 2,000 years later, though the Holy Spirit inspired it and has meant it for all of the masses. He was writing it to the Romans of the day, the Christian Romans. And so as he penned this, uh, as we've talked about... He wants us to see Jesus as the servant of God. Now, make no mistake about it, throughout this gospel, he looks at the Son of Man, but the Son of God, looking at both his deity and his humanity. Uh, The hypostatic union, that duality of Jesus, where he came, God, born of a virgin, living without sin in the flesh, yet tempted, tried, thirst, hunger, pain, and all the things that we go through except for the results of sin in the sense of direct sin, yet He took on the robe of flesh as we'll see today and did experience the very fullness of of the penalty of sin for our sin. For Jesus died on the cross for us. As we continue looking through the Gospel of Mark, last week we looked at the commission. I don't know about you, but I walked away blessed just hearing about and reading about the fact that the Son of God was baptized to draw the picture of our changed life that we can have through him. That beautiful, beautiful picture. But once he was commissioned, it didn't stop there. And so today we see the commencement. Now as Matt mentioned earlier, so many times we rush to church. We're trying to get the kids' hair to cooperate and get them to be still and not get their breakfast all over them. And we're trying to get things going on. When I left the house this morning, I could hear Trooper barking outside and Bicky had already left to uh, bring uh, some things for the youth for breakfast, and I thought, number one, I don't feel like this, but number two, I'm gonna have to deal. And then I realized it was raining, and uh, so he didn't want to get wet. So he's yapping, and I, I just knew he's gonna jump on me, and I'm gonna be filthy. And and I was, you know, going to have a have a come to Jesus meeting, uh, so I had to go get him, put him up, and all this stuff before I ever left the house, and and your morning may have been like that, just hectic, uh, just something going on, y'all sleepy, and just hungover, for the D-Now hangover, uh, it's not quite as bad as a huge hangover, but uh, it, it's a good one. The thing is, we get in a rush, and we run through life wide open, cramming our daytimers full, and then... We rush into church, and before, you know what, we, we want it over so we can get back out and get back planning for the rush next week. I'm afraid we do that in so many things in our life. Uh, a wedding, for example. We start planning a wedding. And it used to be you got engaged, and some would go to the, the, the bride's father and ask permission, and... Then yeah, with the permission, give the ring, and then they'd plan a wedding, and then they'd go have a wedding, and a lot of them, they may go get something to eat and go home. And then it got where we were going on honeymoons, and then it got to where we were having big fancy receptions, and now we, we've we got to take pictures of pre-engagement ceremony services where we spend $6,000 on pictures in a cotton field just because we considered getting engaged, and it gets so busy and we start planning all the stuff around it that we miss what it's really about. We can spend so much money and time on the the coming of the birth of the child that we're broke as a convict by the time they're born. It's about the child's birth. It's about the covenant of marriage, not all the pomp and circumstances surrounding it. It doesn't matter if you had George Strait singing at your wedding. It's about the fact that if it's biblical, two become one. And that it is built on the rock and foundation of Jesus Christ. Well, in this we see... God speak from heaven. Heaven opens up. God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit come descending upon him in the the picture of a dove. In the anointing of the sun. And the sun coming up out of the water. And he didn't stop there. They didn't say, you know, this is a great place. You remember when the Mount of Transfiguration happened? Y'all... Bible theologians, you remember when uh, we see Jesus and Moses and Elijah, we see all that there, and this unbelievable event, and Peter, James, and John experienced it, right? And we hear the same words the Father speaks as he does at Jesus' baptism. Once again, the most beautiful picture of the, the triune God. This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. You know what Peter, James, and John took out of that? Hey, let's just stay here from now on. This is wonderful. This is great. Let's build tabernacles for Jesus. Let's build a tabernacle for Moses. And let's build a tabernacle for Elijah. And let's just, let's just stay here. And there are religions that are doing that today that are hanging on to the past. They say, oh, we had one great revival meeting, and we're still talking about the haystacks and, and Keswick and, and the Great Awakening two or three hundred years later, we need it now. We need revival today. Uh, I believe it was Vance Havner said some folks say that revival is a waste of time, that it doesn't last, but so is a bath, but everyone needs one every once in a while. We need a fresh touch from God today. And when they said, oh, let's stay here and They missed the mark. They missed the point. And God says, no, this is my son. It's about him. It's not about the experience up here. It's about the experience every day with Jesus, right where we're at, living, breathing, and serving. It's about the sovereign servant, Christ the Lord. Wow, I love how the T got cut off. It's not on my... Well, anyway, I hate computers. It's a necessary evil. Here today, and you pray with me, God would speak to our heart. In the commencement of Jesus Christ, Jesus comes up out of the water, and some believe that between verses 13 and verse 14... Is roughly a year that expires because now we see in verse 13, after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee. He didn't come from Galilee, now he's going back into Galilee. And so some commentators call this a year of obscurity that it's kind of a year of things going on. Well, we know things were happening because we see the marriage supper at Cana in other Gospels. We see uh, where Matthew and Luke and even John draw it out in some ways uh, and, and mention other things going on. But here's where Mark picks up. The commencement, the beginning. You know, it's like kindergarten commencement. And our, we're, we're so proud our kids graduated kindergarten. But it is a picture. Hey, everybody don't graduate kindergarten. It's a big deal. And so we, now we put them in a, a little cap and gown and make them look pretty. And we take a bunch of pictures. We call that. Man, photographers love us celebrating this stuff. And so we bring them back in and we, we, we make the whole big deal. Well, it's about them finishing that, that toddler age, now they're, they're going into big kid school. And then roughly 12 years later, 13 or 14, if you really enjoyed a grade and did it twice, you walk down the aisle again and the principal and the superintendent or whoever's standing there and they hand you your high school diploma, shake your hand, and some say good job, some say good luck. It is a picture when you move that tassel that you're stepping out of those high school years and now you're moving into college, you're moving into career, it is a commencement. It is a beginning. It's really not about an ending. It's about a beginning. And so we see today the beginning of the fullness of Christ's ministry being exercised while He's here on this earth and serving both as servant and as sovereign. Sovereign. He says in verse 14, as I've already mentioned. Now, after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Preaching. Doing what? Jesus was doing what? For the preaching of the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. He preached unto them the gospel of the king, the good news of the kingdom of God. What does that mean, the kingdom of God? Very, very deep, deep subject. It's mentioned many, many times throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament. We see today the kingdom of God present in the person of Jesus Christ, present in the plan of salvation, present in the body of Christ, and present in the plan of a redeemed world. First of all, we see, what what is this reality, the kingdom of God? You see, they had roughly waited 4,000 years to hear those words. They had been taken captive by the Babylonians. They were serving under Roman reign. There had been the Greeks that had come through with Alexander the Great and on and on and on and on. And they were ready to have their kingdom rise again. By this time, there had been at least three temples built and it had fallen. The problem was, as it is today, that they wanted to be set free from the bondage without any form of suffering and submission. They wanted the world and its circumstances to change while they continued in their traditions and their lifestyles. We want a touch from God as long as it fits in our agenda. We heard last Sunday night. Experiencing God means we give up our agendas That his agenda overcomes us. So that when we pray, we don't pray for things amiss. We do not pray for things that we clearly know are not the will of God. We, We become so entwined in experiencing God that we literally exude a heart that says, your will, not mine. The kingdom of God is so much more than just coming and setting up a world kingdom. Setting up a throne. In in my life I have seen many kingdoms rise and fall. I mean I can remember I believe it was my senior year in high school when Reagan turned loose two F-14 Tomcats on two Libyan MiGs. When Muammar Gaddafi was was feeling his oats and decided he would try to try the United States of America and those two F-14s shot down those two Libyan MiGs. And it wasn't for several decades later but Muammar Gaddafi kingdom fell. It's in a little place we know as Benghazi. We've seen the Soviet Union's wall collapse. We have seen the leader of Romania fall. We have seen Panama come and go. We've seen over and over and over, kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. He said, "My kingdom is not of this earth. So what where's it from? What does it mean? He said in Matthew chapter 6 verse10, 10, 10, that pattern of prayer that God wants us to understand and pray with our heart, the true experience of saying, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you see, they did not understand, and many today do not understand that the way to the crown must be through the cross. It's the only way. It was even symbolized at the cross, was it not? When we set up, and we do it here, if you've not been here at Christmas or Easter, we set it up right over here. The cross is right over here. And a lot of times we'll have the little manger and have the cross to look at the picture of the coming of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But many times we'll hang on that cross or sit it out by a cross, a crown of thorns. I don't know about you, but if I'm wanting to stretch my leadership legs, I don't necessarily want to wear a crown of thorns. I, you know, we, we believe, well, if I'm a leader, I, I'm due certain niceties. I mean, you know, when the Queen of England comes down the road, you bow or curtsy or do whatever the proper etiquette is. But yet Jesus, God, the sovereign servant, wore a crown of thorns. The reality is God's kingdom. God's kingdom that they had waited for had come, but we see in Isaiah that it's not the reigning Messiah who came, but the suffering one. Make no mistake about it. Hear me now. This world's got you down. If you feel like that all the naysayers, and the social media trolls and the talking head political pundits of this world and all the atheists and agnostics and just downright evil people of this world have utter control. When Jesus comes back, he will not be wearing a crown of thorns. That picture of the sovereign servant has been fulfilled. When he comes back, he'll be coming with a real crown as king of kings and lord of lords. You see, the kingdom of God, he said, is at hand. That that at hand has a very, very deep, powerful meaning in the original language. You see, in its verb tense, it is perfect. It means a completed action with continual results. It means the kingdom of God has been taken care of. Now listen, the kingdom of God is eternal. The kingdom of God didn't start when Jesus came. He came from the kingdom of God, with the kingdom of God, and is the very essence of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is eternal, but was now present in the midst Fallen creation in the person of Jesus Christ. Overwhelming Satan and sin. Think, go back to Genesis 3.15. For I will put division between your seed and her seed. Now who was he talking to when God said that? He was talking to Satan. And who was he talking about? Jesus and the yeah, well the, the division between your seed, Satan, and her seed wasn't Eve. What's the difference in the seed? The corruptible seed of Satan, all in Adam, all sin, right? If you're living today, check, you can put up under here. If I I'll even loan you a mirror. Wink, wink, nod, nod. I've heard that a gazillion times. Y'all don't listen to radio and commercials? If you can fog up a mirror. Listen, if, you're fo- if you can fog up a mirror today, you're born in sin. There's only been three that have walked in perfection. Adam and Eve was perfectly made and they disobeyed. But in Adam all sin. But then one came along, born of a virgin, not born of the corruptible seed that is Adam, for he would be the last Adam that would overcome all the sin of the first Adam. And so in that, we see Satan being cursed and saying, hey, you may carry on this tradition and this genealogy, but there'll be one who'll break it that will pay the price for all the rest. I'll put division between your seed and her seed. And I love the latter part of verse 15. It says that Satan, you're going to bruise his heel, and he shall bruise thy head. And the end of Romans says, and the Lord shall cause Satan's head to be crushed under his feet very shortly. Isaiah 53. I want to take the time. I don't want to linger, but I want us to camp out right here for just a moment that we understand the depth of the kingdom of God in Jesus as the sovereign servant who came through the cross to wear the crown. Isaiah 53, starting in verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You had a bad week? Jesus understands. And we hid as it were our faces from Him. He was despised and we esteemed Him not. Do you feel like you've been bullied? Do you feel like people have been rude to you, been mean to you? Jesus understands. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Is your heart heavy today? Have you been broken hearted about something or someone? Jesus understands. Yet we did esteem Him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in death because he had done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. Listen to this. Yet it pleased God to bruise him. The sovereign son of God became the sovereign servant of God. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. All the Father hath given me, Jesus said, I have not lost any. He shall see of his travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Listen, 1 Timothy 1.15 says, basically, hear the fulfillment and the complete story. Jesus Christ came to save sinners, of whom I am chief. So the kingdom of God, he said. He came preaching the good news of that. And what does he say about it? The time is fulfilled. It is now time. And the kingdom of God is at hand to do what? Repent. Repent. Repent ye and believe the gospel. What does that mean, repent? To repent. He says, it is now time to repent. literally gives the connotation of a change in direction. A turning from and a turning to. It's mentioned over and over and over. But in this, the verbiage, it is a present imperative. It is a continuous, repeated action. Not that it is a repeat of being saved, but it is a repeat of knowing that we fall short of the glory of God. And so when we trust the Lord, God saves us, God keeps us. But it doesn't mean that the flesh has been conquered this side of glory. He tells us very clearly, Paul said, the things that I want to do, I don't. And the things I don't want to do, I end up doing because there's a war raging within me. I have the Spirit of God, which is alive. I'm sealed into the day of redemption, but my flesh is weak and I must die daily. He told the church at Galatia, "I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet it is not I that lives, but Christ that lives within me." It's a change in direction with a continuous, repeated action. It literally looks like this: I'm going towards Satan. I'm. I'm a child of the devil. I'm in this sinful world. And I hear the good news. I'm convicted and convinced that this way leads to destruction. And through the power and presence of Jesus in my life, I turn. Not like this. It's an idea of complete turn. Not a 360 where we come to the altar And we say, be bopping down here, hey, I want a different life. And so I'm going to come to the altar and it's going to be a good thing and God's going to be real happy that I did this for him. And so we do this. And we go right back to the same way of doing things. I'm going to tell you something. When you meet God for who he is and God does a work in your life, you'll do this. There'll be a difference in your life. It'll be evident. People will say the way you talk will be different. The way you walk will be different. The priorities in your life will be different. We're going to see this in a minute, what happened when four, especially, four guys turned. We must repent. Oh, by the way, repentance is not remorse. You know what remorse is? Remorse is when daddy catches you or mama catches you, Doing what you were not supposed to do and there is no way to lie out of it. They've caught you red handed and you go to crying and oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry because you just don't want to get a spanking or you don't want to sit in a sugar chair. And see, I would have been, I wasn't real bright. If someone said sugar chair. I thought I love sugar. I'd been in the sugar chair every day thinking it was some kind of reward not real bright. But if you are trying to get out of payment for that disobedience in your life and you pitch a field, you know, and you throw yourself on the mercy of the court, oh, I'm so terrible. It's just remorse. You're sorry you got caught. Repentance is, it breaks your heart that you broke God. And you don't want to do it anymore. Life changes. Life changes. Your priorities change. Your agenda change. Listen, your prayer life changes. You'll catch yourself. You'll pray a whole whole three minutes and never even mention yourself. That eye shrinks the more we understand repentance. That's about Him and His glory. And us falling short of it. Is this really all life is? Just going to work? Cheering for our teams? Taking a vacation every once in a while? Fixing up our houses? Getting something new? Is that all there is to this life? Maybe it's time for a change in direction. Maybe there's some sin in your life. And we hear revival, revival, revival. You know, sometimes I go to these pastors' meetings or convention meetings and stuff, and we hear, oh, we need to pray for revival. We do. But I'm afraid that most of us that even mention revival are not willing to pay the price to see it. Are we willing to pay the price? We won't even pay the price to have a revival meeting, much less have revival. We're too busy. We don't have time to fit a revival into our life. We got to go to work. We got to make money. We got to go excel in school. We got to excel in sports. We got to excel in all the things of this world that means absolute diddly squat in eternity. Amen. Are we willing to put Christ first in our lives? It's a change in direction. But he said, repent and believe. This is a change in devotion. That we believe He is, and that He is a rewarder to them that diligently seek Him. Diligently seek Him. Diligently putting our nose in the book and not getting up, praying, reading, studying, pleading, wrestling. I remember one guy wrestling with him all night. He said, I'm not leaving till you bless me. It wasn't in an arrogant, obnoxious way. Do you remember when Elijah walked by Elisha? He said, God's calls on your life to be the prophet. Basically to replace me. I'm I'm leaving here. And if somebody doesn't come along beside us. Now, let me go and throw out something. We are trying our best to pray over and reinstitute a singles ministry here. It's so vitally needed. So vitally needed. Don't y'all want to see our 20, 22, 26, 29-year-olds serving God? Huh? I mean, don't we say this is, you know, this is the next generation. We need to get younger people in that is going to serve as teachers and workers and stuff. Well, I put out a list of 25 names Wednesday night. And not one person signed up. Put your money where your mouth is. We really believe, like we say, that God can do anything. God changes young people's life. It's more than giving to the youth at a spaghetti supper. It's more than giving just a designated offering to Lottie Moon. It's about being on mission yourself. It's about investing in a person's life, where you share the love of Jesus Christ. And disciple them in faith. You see, these adults spent this whole weekend, Labor Day weekend. Number one, thank you all for being here in God's house on this holiday weekend. If there's any holiday we ought to ditch, it ought to be this one. Just telling you. But the thing is, we look at ways we can plan around. And isn't it funny how we always plan around we can add Sunday as a day off? It used to be we planned around where we didn't miss church. That God was the priority in our life. You said, preacher, you don't want to meddle. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm just telling you the truth. Listen, if we really believe God can do anything and we really believe that God can raise up a new generation, then we ought to be investing in their lives. Believe. Do you believe that God is everything He says He is? Do you really believe, really believe every word of this? Not that it changes with culture, not that it changes with your opinion or your experiences. I've seen some people, Michelle and I were talking about this week, Some people, they, man, hardcore about certain things, and legalism will bite you now. Legalism will always sneak around. It's circular. It'll come back and get you. But I've seen somebody very dogmatic about things, and the one thing they were the most dogmatic about, it popped up in their own family's life. It may have happened to a child, or it may have happened to a a brother or a niece or a mother, and they throw that whole thing out that they were so dogmatic about, now they're okay with it. Do we really believe this? I heard an old evangelist say, we only believe as much as we practice. There's some truth to that. Change in devotion. He said right here, in the latter part, he says, repent, you repent, especially what he said. He didn't just throw out the word repent. Then somebody could escape. He said, you repent. You. Because you know what we do in church? There are those. Listen, we 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 keep we keep the lawn. L.E. LA is kind of like the lawn service. Uh, some of the church got rakes and some's got shovels. And sometimes we hear the preacher preaching. We hear the songs. We think, man, that's good. That's good stuff. I need to repent. I need to go deeper. I need to experience God. So we rake it in. Oh, I love the Word of God. And others got the shovel. Say, so you know what? They need this. If so-and-so had been here, I've been told this on many occasions. Preacher boy has a good message. If old sister so-and-so had been here, she'd have got told. You know what? God knew who was going to be here when he gave me this message. And there's always an element of it's the preach word that should apply to our life. And we've got to believe that God is everything he says he is for our life. And that it, it applies to me. It's a change in devotion that I because I'm gonna tell you, whatever you believe in, you'll be devoted to. Coaches preach this all the time. Teamwork. Makes the dream work and all the other cute. Coaches are the absolute worst about cliches and a little quippy. I, I like coaches that say, you know what, I ain't got nothing fancy to say. Work hard. Go play the game. Play hard. Play hard. Give it everything you've got. Leave it all on the field. That's a cliche. Look, devotion. Just be devoted to the man beside you. I've always been told, and and listen, let me, another pet peeve. Don't ever compare ball to war. There's people who may be sitting here today who's actually been to war, and it ain't no ball game. People die in wars. People die. People who are serving the Lord so we can have a holiday tomorrow. Football is not war. It's a game. Still a game. I don't care how serious you take. it. It's a game. It's no game when you get on a C-130 or C-47 transport or you get on a big ship and they give you a gun and all you can depend on is that man beside you, that woman flying over you, ones who are serving with you, that we fight the good fight. Well, you know what, church? The body of Christ is the same way. We need to be devoted to one another. But superseding all that's our devotion to Him. And when we do, He said, Now as He walked by the Sea of Galilee, He saw Simon and Andrew, His brother, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come after me, and I will make you to become fishers of their men of fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. Now you see, following is a change in dependence. I talked about this earlier. How what does that change look like? First of all, in a change of dependence, it's going to require action. You know, that whole turning thing? It's not just turning and standing there. A life that is justified in Christ should be a life of constant stepping in sanctification. It's the steps that God is growing us and moving us, conforming us to the very image of His Son. To be everything God wants. If you've been saved 40, 50 years and you don't look any different and you don't know the word of God any deeper than you did 10 years ago or even two weeks ago, then you have stopped following. And I'm going to be real honest with you. The older you get in the faith, the deeper you've got to dig. God expects you to go deep. Those of you who have babies, we got a lot of them around here. Thank God. Church alive, when you hear babies crying, babies fussing and running, I love it. Man, I love it. Don't ever, you never listen to me. If you've got little ones or you are going to have little ones, never ever come to me worried and say, preacher, I hope my child didn't didn't disrupt you. I preached over louder than any of you got. In a lot smaller places, I love having children. It's life. You know what? Jesus loved them, I love them. If Jesus likes it, I like it. Jesus loves it, I love it. And he loves your children. But you know what? When you have little babies, you don't feed them like Tommy feeds Eli, big old steaks before he comes to... He, Eli comes bouncing up in here, Friday. Like got big old steak sitting down. Everybody else had Taco Bell. Mama gave my a ham sandwich and He's sitting there on his bill old steak. I'm like, good grief, boy. But he, he, he can handle it now. He tore that thing up. You're not going to give that baby a steak, are you? Huh? No. Like, come on. What are you going to give him? You're going to give him milk for him. You're going to give the stuff in a bottle. And what are you going to do? Because they, they don't even understand how yet. And so when they're sucking on that bottle, what else is going in there with the bottle? With milk. What? Air. And so what are you going to do? You're going to hold them up and you're going to pat them. Yeah. And they're going to release that trapped air. But they have to be held and padded and burnt so that they don't get sick and throw up. But then, and parents, aren't you excited when the bottle goes away? I mean, that is an exciting time. The bottle is gone. It is gone. It, look, those of you my age or above, they don't even have a clue to the washing of bottles, the way they used to have to steam glass bottles. And, and I can remember when my baby brother was born, someone, the big expensive gifts, y'all, some of you never even heard of. My mother and dad got diaper service for a month for my baby brother. Because they were cloth diapers, you just put them in a pail and sit it out on the porch and it was like the old days of milk. They come by and picked them up, took them, laundered them, and brought them back. Now, when that month was gone, it was gone. Because our house wasn't about no laundry service. We handled things ourselves. The The point is, that bottle goes away. If the bottle doesn't go away, what happens as the baby becomes a toddler and then gets older? Have you ever seen a seven-year-old sucking on a bottle? I have. I've seen 12-year-olds sucking on their fingers. I've seen 18-year-olds sucking on pacifiers. I Actually, I saw a 17-year-old got hooked on a pacifier. Here's the deal: It's not natural. And it's unhealthy. And you know what happens? Their teeth will rot out because of that milk. But some of us are here today that we ought to be eating Eli's steak of the Spirit. We ought to be eating of the deep, meaty things of the Word, but we're still on bottle because we want somebody to hold us up and pat us, rub our egos. And burp us because we've never grown out of the milk. And our spiritual teeth have rotted out of our head. It's not right. Grow. Grow. And in growing you'll follow. Following requires action. First of all, it says they changed their vocation. He said, I'm going to take you from being fishers of fish to being fishers of men. Sometimes God changes your whole vocation. Changes your life. Can I be honest with you? On really cold mornings or really, really hot afternoons, I ride by a construction job and I just have me a little shouting fest. Say, Lord, thank you that I don't even know where my tool pouch is. I'm thankful that I did it for those days, but I'm thankful that you changed my vocation. But even though you may you may have always done what you do, whether it's doctors, lawyers, police officers, farmers, teachers, whatever. That may, but your vocation in the faith, that your work is not about you, it's about the Lord. It's a change in vocation. It's a change in location. He said, come, come, follow me. And so they immediately left their nets and followed him. It's a change in location. Can I tell you, this is a praise. You know, sometimes preachers are bad about beating up on people. We don't necessarily want to or even mean to, but sometimes it just comes out that way. This is the Sunday Labor Day crowd, which I've already said I give you great props. But here's another thing. So it's not just coming from the preacher. Your neighbors People around you, your family members saw you or will know you came to church on Labor Day weekend. Your friends will see and hear. I know because I posted pictures on Instagram the other night and Facebook and Twitter and everything I had because I was proud of all of you. And I've had dozens and dozens of people all over the place, other states who have liked those pictures from seeing y'all worshiping and praising the Lord on a Friday night. On a Saturday morning, serving God. It's a change in location. You know, the older we get in the faith, some things just don't matter as much as they used to. And we'd rather be with a family of God in the house of God. Wednesday night, I didn't ever think I was ever going to get that rowdy bunch to be quiet where I could even have prayer meeting. We love Wednesday night. We just come and fellowship. And I don't rush it because, think about it, how often... On average, do we see each other during the week? This is the time we get together as family. other day, I just walked in Michelle's office. I didn't have anything to do. We just laughed. and talk. I just wanted to sit in there with her, and we just talk and just rejoice in the week, rejoice in our lives, rejoice in our families, rejoice in what God is doing. And I had a great time. I hope you did. He says they immediately followed. If you're trying to put something off, this is what happened with Elisha. When Elijah called him, he said, well, I got things to do. He said, well, just don't worry about that. He said, oh, no, 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 I'm coming, but I'm going to make an offering unto the Lord. And he went. And there were times where Elijah said, Elisha, you just stay here. I'm going to go. He said, oh, no, no, I'm in this. I'm in it. And so where you go, I go. It's what Ruth told Naomi, wasn't it? Where you go, I go. Your people be my people. Your God be my God. That's what Elisha told Elijah. And because of that, he received a double portion when Elijah left this world. You never know. Listen to me. If you feel like quitting, the dread and despondency and the depression of this life is overtaking you. And you don't feel like you can take one more step. Take another step in Christ because... I don't want to see someone else quit the night before the dawning of their blessing. I had a woman come to me one time and said, Pastor, I can't stay in this marriage. I cannot put it. He is lost, evil, eat up with the dumb dums I don't know. He's just, he's not right with God. I can't take it another day. I said, let's pray and seek God and whatever God leads for you. The next day, I got a call from from that man. He said, I have run as hard and as fast and as strong as I could right into that brick wall. I can't go any further. Tell me about Jesus. And God changed his life, changed their marriage, changed everything about them. It was, and immediately they followed. And when they followed, they completely, listen, they didn't take their nets with them. God gave them new nets. Stop with trying to take all your garbage into tomorrow. Leave it at the altar. Leave it. Leave the old nets and get new nets. Have you ever really, really seen somebody happy? I'm talking about just thrilled to death. There's nothing happier than to see Steve Smith with a new rod and reel or a new lure that is guaranteed to catch something. Amen, Kim? I mean, this morning, first thing, he's grinning ear to ear. I already heard the news. He said, "I got my boat going again." I said, "Yeah, Dean's already told me." And you know, but he was excited. And, and we'll compare because I love to fish too. And he's like, "Hey, I got this new this, and I got this new because the old stuff is obsolete. It's just and that's what my stuff looks like." You know, he says, "Come on, preacher, go fishing with me." I get on that big old honky tonk speedboat of his, and we're out there fishing. And I get out, and it's like a 1974 Ford Fairmont rod and reel, and, and he's got this Maserati and Lamborghinis and all these other stuff. But you know, sometimes it's good. God says, lay the old stuff down. I got new nets for you. I got, new, I got a new day for you. Same gospel, same message, different methods. It's completely... Followed. This following will be evident. I want to end it right here. I want you to look. He said in verse nine, 19 and 20, and when he had gone a little farther thence, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother. What are they called? What do they call these two brothers? Amen. The first wrestling duo right here. James and John the sons of thunder. If you don't love that, something's not right with you. I mean, I can just see these two cats. You know, when they walk in, you know, they, okay, I'll move on. They had it now, they had it. James and John, Peter and Andrew, and by the way, Andrew was called first. We always hear about Peter because Peter just was loud. Peter always stepped in it, didn't he? but Andrew loved his brother enough when he met Jesus, he said, Hey, Peter, I met him. I met the Messiah. He ran got his brother and brought him with him. Now he comes to two other brothers and he tells them. They were also in the ship mending their nets and straightway. Immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. You see, when we follow the sovereign servant, when we repent and believe, when we trust Him in direction and devotion, when we become dependent solely upon the One who can do something about it, there will be a evidence of our following in front of our family. Their own daddy was in the boat and they left him. Zebedee and Sons Fishing Service would Neil be Zebedee Incorporated? Really? Because God changed his sons. Their following was evident in front of their family. It says their co workers were there, their servants. In front of their friends, co workers, classmates, lost world. There will be evidence. If you walk this aisle, if you walk it in your heart, if you walk it down, the aisle beside your bed, whatever that aisle is, a picture we saying, come to the altar, not the altar of the church, the altar of Jesus, and lay your burdens down. The sovereign servant can do something about it. He said, repent, believe, and follow. Repentance is action. Love is action. It's following the one who has called us unto eternal life. Are you 30% in? Are you 60% in? Are you 95% in where you think God wants you? How about going 100% in today and see God change your life as they come to the instruments? The commencement, the Son of God, the servant of God said it's now. The time is fulfilled. Today is the day. Repent, believe, and follow. And when you do, make it evident into a whole world. Leave your old vocation behind, leave the location you used to go to, and follow me with everything that is within you. Trust me, serve me with gladness in your heart. If you've never been saved, Jesus says, Repent of your sins. Believe that I am the Savior. Confess it to me. And I'll come into your heart and save you. Come to this altar today. If you're saved, you've never been baptized. And you want not let the world know outwardly what has happened inwardly that Jesus has saved you. And you want to be uh, evident with that in believer's baptism in front of everyone like we just mentioned. Come and tell me, preacher, I need to be baptized. I've been born again. If this is the place God wants you to worship, this is the place God wants you to serve alongside your Christian brothers and sisters. Peter served beside Andrew. James served beside John. They served together. This is your home. God's called you here. Come, whether by letter, statement, whatever God's calling you to do, just come to the altar. Stand and come.